Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hard Sell. I'm your host, Joel Stevenson. Um, on The Hard Sell, we recognize that selling is hard, and so we're bringing leading experts to you to help you with whatever your sales processes are. And today, we've got a very special guest, uh, Jerry Colonna, um, formerly uh, a renowned venture capitalist, and then started his own firm uh, called Reboot, uh, helping CEOs and founders uh, both run a better business and build a better business and, and enable their organizations to, uh, to I would argue, um, act in a much more human way um, than, than what many organizations are accustomed to doing. Uh, Jerry also wrote a book, uh, Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up, uh, which is a great book if you haven't read it. And also happy to report that uh, Jerry is also uh, my executive coach in the, in the interest of full disclosure. So uh, if uh, we'll try to avoid the inside jokes on this, but uh, a few may leak out. But anyway, Jerry, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joel. And I was wondering if you're going to do the big reveal um, or if I was going to have to tease out like the inside knowledge that I have. So at least now it's out of the way. So if you like what Joel does, you can thank me. And if you don't like it, you can blame him. That's right. And now that now the tables are turned. So we'll, we'll hopefully have fun here for the next 20 or, or 30 minutes or so. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, is hard about selling um, is rejection is just sort of a natural part of of the sales process. And through your work with CEOs, you, you know, while a CEO doesn't necessarily have the title of salesperson, there's a lot of selling that goes on, especially when you're, when you're starting a company, you're selling to investors, you're maybe selling to early employees, you're probably selling to the first handful of customers at least. And, you know, part of that is, is, is of course a lot of rejection. And so I, I'm curious what your experience has been um, to help people, especially maybe the reluctant salesperson, deal with rejection um, and, and how to handle that, uh, overcome that obstacle to, to, to reach greater success? Well, I think it's a, I think you're making a really astute observation there that uh, so much of the challenge is being reject, is dealing with rejection. And <clears throat> if you take a step back, um, you know, we're, I know the podcast is focused on the sales process, and I know that many of your listeners are salespeople. But the truth of the matter is, we all struggle with the rejection, um, uh, mostly because we attach a very deep and profound existential meaning to success. And then when we fail to achieve that success, we're kind of annihilated. And um, part of the way of dealing with this is to try to separate your sense of self from that accomplishment, from that goal, um, uh, and to really care, because no one cares more than salespeople, right? They just care so much. But to care, to continue to care, but to, but to not internalize that rejection as um, uh, somehow a hurt against them. And, and I'm glad you made the point about um, uh, even CEOs who don't define themselves as, as salespeople are in effect always selling. Uh, whether it's for fundraising or recruiting 
or uh, actually talking with potential and existing customers. We're always in that mode. So the first challenge is around the rejection. But the second challenge, and I think that this is incredibly important is, and I've experienced this, I hate selling something I don't believe in. And we've all been sold by someone who doesn't believe in what they're selling. And it's a, it's a mutually awful experience, right? And so part of the way that I have internalized uh, and, and built up the resilience to deal with a rejection is to really see myself not so much as selling myself as much as selling that, which might be the work of people I believe in. Uh, it might mean really believing in the capacity of uh, the product or service to be of benefit to the person and to kind of hold loosely whether or not they are accepting of that, right? And so if, if you take a step back, all the way back, and you say, well, what, what, what is the sales process that actually works for me? Well, it's when someone cares about me. It's when someone actually bothers to understand who I am and what my issues are. It's when um, someone is actually offering something that they fundamentally believe in, that they're not selling shit. And then it's that they are uh, respectful of not enough of me to hear me when I am saying no. Even if they believe in their whole heart that it's going to uh, work. Now, I think you take those two things, understanding the ability to care without being annihilated at the rejection with that kind of other component of a process that's really about helping and you turn what can be very difficult into something that's actually life-giving. It's well said. We, you know, we, we talk a lot about here um, on the show about, you know, a lot of people that are reluctant salespeople, particularly, you know, entrepreneur types. It's like, I've hardly ever met one that when they get into a real, con like a real consultative conversation with someone, when they're really trying to understand their problems, it's like, I think it's very, you know, it becomes very natural for someone to go into a selling mode. And like, somehow you just sort of have to get yourself into that, into those conversations, whether that's through good marketing or, you know, some outbound motion or something, but it's like, if you could just get yourself to that point, then that's when actually the real sales happens anyway. All the other stuff is sort of, you know, uh, in, in some sense, noise. Um, and I imagine you must have felt a little bit of that uh, when you first started Reboot, right? Because you were doing a bit of a transition in your, in your career to something different and you were offering something new to the world. And there was coaching, but the way that you've sort of, I think, done it is a bit different than, uh, than a lot of the, the standard rubrics. So I imagine there must have been people that, you know, yeah. in the early days. The, 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 there is a relevancy here, um, but there was an interim step that I think it's important to note. After I left the venture capital business, I kind of wandered in the desert, if you will without real clear direction. And then eventually I trained as a coach and eventually I started taking on just a few clients. And then eventually I had a very thriving solo practice. 
And it was during the days in which I had a thriving solo practice where, um, and I think a lot of coaches and consultants feel this as well. I was not just selling a product. I am the product. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it was very difficult to have the product rejected and not take that rejection personally, mm-hmm. um, you know, for obvious reasons. And um, over time, what I came to understand was that uh, since, since the service is the product, and this was true for Reboot uh, after we launched the company, we're going to be eight years old in July. So mazel tov to us. But um, what I came to understand is that not every client is a reboot client. Not just as not every client was a Jerry client and not, and Jerry is not the coach for every single person. Um, and that's something that at first I had to, to repeat to myself, myself over and over again, um, especially in the early days when I was using the experience to affirm that I had made a good choice in my life. Even though financially it was fine, it's still, I started to use that as a yardstick for my own uh, self-worth. Um, when I then sort of took a step back and realized that someone could be coached by me and have one experience and be coached by somebody else and have another experience and that other experience might be better for them. It actually lowered the stakes, if you will, and turned it back into an inquiry process, right? What's the best solution here? Later, when we launched the company, there was a basis of a number of us had already had a practice as coaches, solo coaches. But very early on, we actually wrote uh, a document uh, titled, What is a Reboot Client? And it wasn't just like a product segmentation or market segmentation identification. It was what is that ideal relationship like? And we continue to evolve that document and we continue to use that document with people so that even in the earliest stages, if somebody signs up or reaches out for, uh, for coaching, I would say a good 30, 40% of the time, we point them outside of reboot because we're, we're, it's not a right match. Now we have the great good fortune of doing that. We're not grasping for every sale, but um, the irony is by having that attitude, we've actually had more sales. Yeah, we, um, we, in the sort of in the traditional selling markets, we oftentimes see people, um, afraid to qualify a customer out, you know, because as a salesperson, you have a fear of, well, my pipeline's not big enough. And so like everything that comes in, I need to close, but, you know, but you end up actually uh, oftentimes fragmenting your efforts because you then end up spending too much time on customers that were never going to buy anyway, or if they were going to buy, they're going to churn right away. And so like that, um, that focus, uh, like the, the, I guess the ability to, uh, to be willing to let something go ultimately in the end ends up um, for, for many salespeople that are, you know, that sort of have gone to the other side of this thing ends up producing more surplus, uh, rather than, uh, that less surplus, more, more surplus and deeper relationships with clients. Right. And so, you know, the, there's, 
back from my days as a as an investor, I'm acutely aware of the benefit of of selling into an existing client base being more profitable than actually trying to expand the client base. And um, that is true in kind of all walks of life. It's also more satisfying because all of a sudden you, you are actually contributing to and participating in whatever success the client is having. And if you can take pride in the success that the client is having, uh, that starts to build upon itself. If someone's going through, you know, let's say a, a bad run, uh, you know, sometimes these things happen in, you know, threes or fours or whatever, you get sort of a bunch of rejections in, in a row mm-hmm. and you've got to somehow, you know, maybe you're, you're taking a little bit too hard. You've got to kind of get yourself out of that mode and back into a more productive mode. What are, are there some uh, techniques or tactics or you know, things that you've seen be successful even in your, your own career or the, or the others that you've coached? Sure. I mean, uh, first of all, I, I would say I, I don't consider myself an expert in the sales process at all, right? So I speak as someone who's been tangential to and contiguous with um, those processes. The first thing that occurs to me, and this won't surprise you given you know all the conversations we've had over the years, the first thing that occurs to me is get out of your head, go for a walk, talk to a friend, talk about what's going on uh, because the worst thing that I think people do in those instances is start to ruminate and spin and spin and spin. And then they start to like parse and dissect every single interaction. And then all that gets activated is this awful self-criticism. They're really not learning something new, but if they're talking with a friend and doing the same kind of analysis the propensity to do self-criticism and get locked in that goes down. And so hopefully you're having a peer group kind of relationship with other members of the sales team. Or if you're alone, you're reaching outside of your organization or your own traditional structure and finding additional people. You're participating in things like this blog, this podcast uh, and any ancillary work so that you're having a dialogue about it. Because I think the worst human tendency is to get locked in our head. Um, uh, I think it was one of the Anchorman shows that Will Ferrell described himself as mind-bottled. Um, and that mind-bottled state is a, uh, it's an awful state. And you know, the goal is to get out of that as soon as possible. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think the, you know, as you say, you're tangential to the process, but I think all that everything that you just said is, is, you know, hits, will it hit home to a salesperson just as it would with, uh, with a CEO. So pr- appreciate you sharing that. Um, maybe switching gears a little bit um, to the flip side of, of the coin. So, you know, we, we sometimes have this, um, you know, stereotype of, uh, uh, the, of entrepreneurs that sometimes is very similar to salespeople as being, you know, a bit brash, overconfident, you know, super outgoing, you know, that, you know, all, everything's always good all the time, uh, you know, maybe not um, always filtering. In all the- Philadelphia, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm curious about, I mean, I, I think there's, there's good research that says uh, positive mental attitude is actually one of the key determinants of success in sales mm-hmm. and in many things. But I'm curious, like, at what point does it become an overused strength 
uh, and people start, you know, when maybe overconfidence sets in. Yeah, I, I, I think that it, there's, a, there's a pathological uh, positivity that can set in. And typically that's um, when it's a mask for an underlying negativity. So whether it's overconfidence masking insecurity or it's brashness masking shyness, typically uh, what you're seeing, and this is, I think, true across the board, not just for salespeople, typically what you're seeing is a compensation behavior. And that compensatory behavior, you know, human beings can spot that a mile away. And so, you know, what you described as, as outgoing, well, outgoing is perfectly fine. Extrovertedness is perfectly fine. I happen to be a profound introvert, but that's fine. Um, when it's forced, it makes both parties uncomfortable. And, you know, I get that there are some sales techniques that are focused on kind of presenting that way. But in the long term, if what you're trying to do is build relationships, which, you know, to our earlier point is a lot, it's a lot um, more profitable and satisfying to reinforce existing relationships. If what you're trying to do is build relationships, being inauthentic is not the path. And let's just acknowledge the uh, airplane that's flying over. You know, being authentic is off-putting. And or being inauthentic is off-putting, and and um, I think the task is to is to find that space where you're comfortable in yourself and confident in what you're selling without uh, bullshitting, because people can spot that. You know, our bullshit detectors are actually set on high. Yeah, you have talked um, in the past about this concept of uh, of the loyal soldier um, mm -hmm. and how that maybe shows up. But do you mind just giving a quick uh, kind of a, a, a you know two minute overview of that concept? And because I think it, it 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 maybe has some relevance here for some folks. Sure. So this is a concept I, I I've actually first heard. Uh, 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 from uh, the founder of Animus Valley Institute, uh, Bill Plotkin. Um, and it's a, it's a archetype used to describe a personality type. And the story comes from the, the somewhat apocryphal, but nevertheless true story of Japanese soldiers who were holed up on islands in the Pacific during World War II. And in particular, there was one guy in the 1970s who was discovered on this island, <clears throat> continuing to fight the war long after the war had been over. And it, uh, people will use this metaphor, we will use this metaphor to describe the parts of our personality that continue to fight the war long after the war is over, the war in our childhood. And so we continue to have belief systems that are rooted in, in this. And I think you're right to make the link around this. One of the challenges of 
being afraid of rejection uh, is actually rooted in the, a, an early belief system, which is that we have to please people in order to be safe. Or as I say in my book, love, safety, and belonging. In order to feel loved, in order to feel safe, and in order to feel that we belong, we wire ourselves to track and track and track other people and make sure that they like us. And I think you're right. There are certain certain positions within organizations that tend to attract that kind of people-pleasing personality. HR is one, sales is another. The challenge, and so, so the link here is that uh, when my internalized sense of my own safety is dependent upon whether or not this person is pleased with me, i.e. buys the thing that I'm selling, then uh, what happens is that loyal soldier gets really, really activated. And I might find myself, for example, saying things that are untrue, like features in a product, mm-hmm. like capacities in the company, just to get the win. And, and then what gets activated is a little voice inside of our heads that says, you're a liar. You're an imposter. And then the rumination starts to begin. And so the real root there, and I think you were wise to make this connection, the real root there is that loyal soldier belief system that says that if people don't like you, then you are threatened. There's a threat. Is that what you were thinking about? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if, um, you know, I, I think for a lot of, I think especially in sales, um, you know, whether you're a salesperson or sales manager all through all the way through to sales executive, you know, and, and I would argue even a, you know, a CEO trying to get your fund, your company founded, like so much of your, you know, self-worth is like, oh, did I make the number last night, you know, that last month? Or did I, you know, did I do the deal? Did I raise the round? You know, whatever it happens to be, there's these very, very tangible things. And, and one thing that I think people, oftentimes like about the sales profession is it's sort of like very quantifiable. You're like, well, did you make the number or did you not make the number? Like, it's pretty obvious, but that like the, there is a human, then uh, there's a human effect of that. Did you make the number? Or did you not make the number? Like you're good or you're not good you right. know, it's very, versus other areas where it might be a little bit more fuzzy. Right. Right. There's a corollary to this too, which is, uh, and I'll speak to the entrepreneurial founders out there. Um, when we tilt too far into that mindset, did I make the, did I make the numbers this quarter or not? Did I make the numbers this month or not? When we tilt too far into that, we run the risk of actually taking our eye off the ball of building a sustainable, durable business. We, we, we run the risk of building, you know, I, what I jokingly referred to as Ponzi schemes, not businesses. Right, um, where you know the measure of success is, say, our valuation in the in the company, or um, you know, in effect, you know, the net promoter score. To just pick one of a bazillion, you know, metrics. Whereas those things are important and they contribute, but the goal remains building a durable, sustainable business that has a tomorrow, not just a today. 
when uh, a healthy functioning sales process understands that and internalize that, they see that that team will see themselves as contributing to build a durable, sustainable business. Not just what is my metric that I'm trying to hit, but what is our collective goal? What are we trying to do here? And you know, yes, we may be driving the top line, but if we drive the top line without paying attention to the bottom line, we run the risk of you know, making up for those losses in volume. And that's a joke. Of course, you can't do that. <laughs> so, you know, at a time, especially now with the, the markets in free fall and so much tumult going on in the market, to just remember that we're all in this for one particular re reason, build a durable, sustainable business. You know, as my grandfather used to say, my grandfather, the entrepreneur, make sure that there's more money at the end of the day than there was at the beginning. Like that's our goal. And if you're, uh, say, a sales leader um, in a younger organization, and you're you've got some of these pressures coming, and things especially going to be magnified now, mm. and you're trying to figure out how to have that conversation with the CEO about like, hey, the numbers aren't right anymore, or like you're asking you know me to do something that's maybe not in the best. Like, like how do you think a, how do you think somebody should approach having that sort of real conversation with the with the CEO? Well, I'll tell you what I would always do on the board when I sat on the board is, is uh, and I do this even now as CEO of the company, and I tell all of my colleagues I do this, when, when a spreadsheet is presented to me, or when a spreadsheet was presented to me, I would stare at it, and I would ask myself, what's the story in the spreadsheet, right? So in a similar fashion, if you have, you know, like, if you have a close rate that's dropping, there's a story there. If you have a, um, if you're gathering feedback on pricing or features, there's a story there. And too often we myopically look at the numbers and overlook the story. And the story is what really matters, right? So we use uh, the, the, the data and the details to, to tell us a story about the business, right? So year over year growth, what's happening there? Um, uh, when we look at uh, the individual company numbers or the individual product line numbers against a backdrop of macroeconomics, Right. Um, there, there are stories in there. And I think leadership's job is to suss out what the story is being told. Well, to create a story about the vision, but also to figure out what the story is in the number, in the numbers. Right. And what's important here is that sometimes what seem to be outwardly good numbers are, in fact, telling us a story that's a negative story. It might be a declining margins. It might be a longer and longer close, close time. You know, all of that needs to be tracked and understood so that you're staying close to the customers. 
Exactly. Yeah. They're, um, yeah, I think uh, oftentimes salespeople are good at the narrative aspect. And so I think trying to think about, yeah, what's a story versus like fighting over like this number or that number is, uh, yeah. is, a, is a great way to think about that. Yeah. So, well, we, Jerry, we could probably go on for hours and hours um, as, as we sometimes do um, in, our, in our sessions, but um, we're, we're going to have to wrap things up here. So if, if people want to learn more about um, your work at Re Reboot or, or, or check out the book or anything else that you're doing, what's the best way for people to do that? Uh, Reboot.io reboot um, is the website and... Uh... You know, um, pretty much everything there is to know about us, including the book and, you know, signing up for our courses, signing up for different resources. It's all available on the website. That's yeah, great. Great resource. And I would argue, especially as the uh, sort of the tide starts to go out now and all the bullshittery that's out mm -hmm. there is started to be exposed. I think the the message in the book and what you guys are doing is is more relevant than ever. So I encourage people to go to reboot.io and, and check that out. So, well, Jerry, thanks very much for uh, for being on the show today. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for having me and uh, best of luck today. Thank you.